Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Dorsey Wright podcast for Tuesday, July the 3rd. We're recording this on July 3rd as July 4th uh, is is on Wednesday this year. So welcome, everybody. Good to be with you again this week. And um, the, the first week of July is underway, which means the second half of the year is now underway in full swing. And half the year is over which is hard to believe. It's crazy. 2018 is more than halfway over. And we wanted to, you know, this time of year, we always kind of take a look back and, and see what, what's going on in the markets, what happened uh, over the previous quarter in the second quarter, but then also what has happened over the first half of the year and where we're looking headed into the second half of the year at large. Yeah, it's certainly it's a great time to reflect, right? Over the past three months, as well as the past six months, um, so you can position yourselves going forward. And if we just you know think back to kind of what transpired over Q2, um, I think one word, it's a, it's a little choppy, mm-hmm. right? You know, we had some uh, great period where the equity markets you know, kind of shrugged off some of the weakness from February and early March 2018. Uh, then we saw a little bit of uncertainty kind of creep back into the market. Uh, we saw, I wouldn't call it a correction or uh, maybe you call it a little bit of a pullback. Uh, it seems that the market has shrugged that off again. Um, so for the quarter, um, you're looking at you know what was a positive quarter for equities, right? Um, you look at most major U.S. market indexes and ETFs; they were in the in the black. They were in positive territory. Um, the S&P 500 was up over three percent, um, using the SPY as a proxy. You know the leader within the U.S. market landscape was really small caps, and that was an area that really surged. Um, and really gain some momentum. Uh, if you look at, let's say, the uh, S&P 600 index fund, IJR, was up almost 8, 8.3%, 8.38. Uh, small cap momentum was up over 9%. Um, and so, you know, those are some of the themes of the quarter, was strength in U.S. equities. And I think more importantly, resilience, right? Mm-hmm. The ability to, hey, you know, we know pullbacks will happen. We know correction will happen. But how resilient, how persistent is that momentum? And um, I think those are two words, resilience and persistence, uh, that kind of uh, personify or typify what, what happened last quarter. Uh, so we, we see, still see strength in U.S. equities. You know, international equities was one of those areas where uh, that did struggle last quarter. Um, you can see really across the board, uh, really emerging markets down double digits last quarter. You see developed markets were down almost four. Um, you know, they're still hanging in there, though. They still have some strength. If you look at Dolly, they're still in second place. Uh, but overall, I mean, that's one asset class to watch right now. See, you know, can they be as resilient as U.S. equities? So that's something we're watching in our rankings. And, of course, fixed income. Um, the topsy-turvy time for interest rates. Um, as a whole, the broad um, total bond market using BND, the Vanguard total bond market ETF, was down about a percent bringing the grand total of uh, year-to-date returns down to almost three at 2.92. So uh, there really hasn't been an area to hide in fixed income, right? So those that try to be defensive in any bit of uh, turbulence in U.S. equity markets, um, really you couldn't just do that full switch from equities to bonds because bonds really weren't working for you. Um, Commodities up um, as a whole. Um, you can see the GSEI Commodity Index Trust, GSG, was up about 7%. That was really due to the, the rise of oil, uh, strength in crude oil, last quarter. So I think those are some of the major trends, Jay, is that resilience and persistence in U.S. equities, uh, some weakness in international and fixed income, um, and then the up-and-coming asset class is really commodities is something that we're watching. That's right. And in, in the second quarter, you know, the, the international volatility certainly picked up to the point that we saw some, some technical technical deterioration there. 
and then energy, I think, was was the big story there, not only on the commodity side, but stocks as well. A lot of the energy names that had been um, struggling uh, prior to this year had come back and, and have done well, uh, uh, particularly within energy. I mean, you look year to date uh, or, or even the last quarter, the energy select sector spider ETF for the second quarter was up about 11 percent, um, up three and a half percent on the year. And, and so outpacing the broader equity market has been energy um, on a year-to-date basis, which has been interesting. Um, the only other uh, other thing that I, I think is worth mentioning in terms of uh, happenings over the course of the first half of the year has been the U.S. dollar. And the U.S. dollar in 2017 was, for lack of a better word, basically in a free fall. The U.S. dollar falling from 103.5 all the way down to the upper 80s. And what we saw at the beginning of this year is the dollar finds some support and has rallied. And the dollar, the U.S. dollar, DX forward slash Y is the chart of the dollar on our site, has moved from 88.5 up to 95.50, which is, in, in dollar terms, is a huge move. Hmm. I mean, it's up almost 3% on a year-to-date basis, up over 5% over the past quarter. Technically, it has... Uh, move now very, very close to moving back into a long-term positive trend. And so that's going to be a continued uh, picture to watch is if that dollar is able to get back in a positive trend. And, and obviously some of the themes we touched on are, are playing off of that dollar. A strong dollar is typically going to hurt foreign investments or international mm-hmm. equities. And so um, it's not a coincidence that those two things, that, that the U.S. dollar has strengthened International equities have weakened a bit. It's not a coincidence. That's you know typically what we see happen, um, but but a lot of the themes there are certainly contingent off of the dollar chart. Yeah, and if it moves back to a positive trend, I mean that would put the um, trend chart back to a positive trend first time since really what May of last year, yeah, right? I mean sure. May is when May 2017 it violated the bullish support line there at 98.50. Um, that would be a, a sign of hey, you know maybe we begin to uh, we have seen a dollar turnaround. Um, we certainly change the paradigm, right, where we go from kind of a weak dollar to a strong dollar, uh, potentially. Um, what's interesting, too, is that, you know, these trends can last for a while, right? I mean, you can see 2014 up until 2016 or so, you know, we saw a, an upward trend in uh, the U.S. dollar. That was certainly an environment that favored U.S. equities. Um, international was kind of all over the place during that time period. So uh, something to watch, you know, heading into the second half of the year for sure. Um, you know, that along with, you know, really just interest rates, um, it's something that, you know, we definitely talk about a lot in the, um, our Thursday re- reports where we cover all the different asset classes. But you look at the 10-year right now, um, you know, it's been trading sideways for much of the year in that 2.8 range. You know, we saw the default chart of the 10-year TNX actually move to a negative trend, uh, which is something interesting. Kind of broke through the bullish support line there at 2825. You know, so it's a negative trend for the first time since really the midpoint of last year, mm-hmm. right? And so um, dollar, interest rates, I mean, these are all... Um, they're not new talking points, right? It's just that they are changing, right? right. Um, definitely, these are the big big boys in terms of impacting um, asset class returns and market trends. So a great way to track that on the system, you know, on the Deutsche Research Platform, um, dollar symbols DX forward slash Y. Um, and then the U.S. 10-year yield index is TNX. Um, it's a great way to kind of track those two players. Yeah, yeah and headed into the, into the second half of the year, there, there's, you know, Leaders that came into the year that that absolutely remain there. U.S. equities being the big asset class, but even inside of that, growth um, just continues to dominate the value-oriented stocks. Growth, whether it be small, mid, or large, c- 
continue to be the area we see strength and, and have yet to see any signs of evidence that that is done. Growth continues to certainly be the case. And, and you know, small caps are certainly a, a dominant area. What has been surprising, though, this year and through the first half of the year has been the the value and very and specifically the large cap value stocks that have lagged mm-hmm. quite a bit. And as a matter of fact, when you look at all the, the S&P 500 ETF SPY through the first half of the year is up about 1.7% on a price return basis, so just shy of 2%. There, and, and most of the style boxes, the individual Morningstar style boxes, are actually outperforming the S&P 500. The one that is lagging the most and the one that's actually down on the year is large cap value. And, you know, large cap value, you think, geez, those are your blue chip type of names. Those are the ones that are just designed to be in the portfolio that are not going to be high flyer names by any Mm -hmm. means, but they're going to be stable. They're going to, you know, just move along, uh, quietly plot higher and probably pay a decent dividend as a result, but those names, you know, it's not only are they not doing anything, i.e. moving higher, but they've actually declined quite a bit in value uh, from a price standpoint, and there's a lot of names out there. Um, you know, one, we've talked about some of these names in the um, consumer staple space mm-hmm. quite a bit, but, you know, Campbell Soup is one that kind of comes to mind as a name that's a, just a, a value stock, a big dividend on it. Um, another name out there, that is a very big name. Um, Johnson and Johnson is, mm-hmm. is a big name that has actually just recently violated its bullish support line and moved into a negative trend. So you know it's it's important to look at these names now, and, and a bull market can certainly mask a lot of um, a lot of problems out there. But you know some of these these problems are starting to to rear their head up, and so it's absolutely critical to pay attention. Uh, to the individual positions now, uh, a name like Johnson and Johnson moving into a negative trend for the first time in a long time now, going back to the 2015 uh, breakout. So uh, over three years, so that's, that's you know it's a notable breakdown and certainly something to, to pay attention to. Yeah, such a great point. I mean, this is why it's so important to have a disciplined, unemotional process, yeah. right? I and mean, when you think about large value, I mean, these are all the stocks that. Um, I mean, you see their billboards, you see their names on buildings, you see their products. These are tangible companies that your clients know um, that they probably did own at some point. Um, you know, you think about just looking at, I'm looking at the, uh, you know, Morningstar Large Value ETF. You look at the top holdings. I mean, JP Morgan, Exxon, Wells Fargo, AT&T, Intel, Cisco, Citigroup, Coca-Cola, Merck, Philip Morris, Walgreens, uh, Walmart, IBM, GE. I mean, these are all. Mm. I mean, these are the, the big guys, yeah, right? I mean, yeah. these are these blue chip stocks. Um, again, I can't stress enough. I mean, this is when emotions enter into the trade, right? Because these are companies that they know. Um, yet, when you look at some of these attribute ratings, um, you know, if you just you know look at the top, there's a lot of ones, there's a lot of twos, there's a couple zeros, there's only a few stocks rated, you know, threes, fours, or fives. Um, they're either from financials or technology. Mm-hmm. Um, everything else is kind of the the healthcare, the consumer staple space um, that really has seen some weakness. And you know, one, you know, a couple of things that you know comes to mind when I think about this is a, a new book out there that looks really interesting. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's by Michael Batnick. Um, there's a great blog out there. It's called Big Mistakes: The Best Investors and Their Worst Investments. You can find it on Amazon. I'm excited about you know reading it on the July Fourth holiday tomorrow. Um, but there's one quote that um, he talked about in, in his blog and also in the book uh, that involves, you know, Drunkenmiller. 
And it's basically, you know, the quote says, you know, I bought six, $6 billion worth of tech stocks, and in six weeks I had lost $3 billion in that one play. You asked me what I learned. I said, I didn't learn anything. I already knew what I wasn't supposed to do. I was just an emotional basket case, and I couldn't help myself. So maybe I learned not to do it again, but I already knew that. So emotional basket case is something that sticks out. So you know, trust the process, be unemotional, trust the discipline, trust the technicals, um, and stick to that. So um, I think it's a it'll be an interesting book for yeah. those listening to check out. Uh, I'm looking forward to reading it. Uh, makes me think about some of those bad investments <laughs> I've had. You know, where I didn't trust the process, I didn't trust the charts. I remember what a couple months ago I tried. Um, just you know, an options strategy with one stock that was clobbered because of a, a, a bad news that came out, and you know, I didn't trust the process. I didn't to the charts. The charts told me to do the opposite. Um, yet I was like, oh, I can you know, I can beat this. Um, and it just was a horrible investment. So that was probably my worst <laughs> investment. And if Michael Batnick interviewed me, that's one stock I would uh, or one scenario I would bring up. Yeah, and and you know it is it's about having a process and a discipline and you know having a game plan and certainly you know we talk about using point and figure using the methodology to help make those decisions um, by no means is that the only methodology out there that that works and sticks to a discipline I mean um, yeah I think about when you mentioned that I think about Warren Buffett and there there was quotes and studies back there when you know back in the 90s Warren Buffett obviously mm-hmm. very much a fundamental value investor um, he has the benefit of buying whole companies mm-hmm. a lot of times as opposed to the stock, but nonetheless, you know, very much a, a, a fundamentally oriented uh, value type of investor. And in the late 90s, when the technology bubble was growing, um, he lagged the S&P 500 by 60% over like a three-year period. Mm-hmm. And, you know, when, when asked about it, he said, I'm not a growth investor. That's not what I do. Right. And, and so he was very disciplined to his investing process. He had a discipline, he had a game plan, and obviously has been very, very successful as, as a result. And so, you know, I, I, I think it's important to, you know, once you find the discipline, find a, a system, find, a, find an operating system that you can wrap your arms around, that you can understand, number one, that you can explain to clients, number two, then you found something that, that you can lean your head on mm-hmm. and stick to it. You know, not every decision is going to be right. Not every single trade is going to work out uh, to be a home run. Um, but if you stick to the b- discipline, you never have those moments of, I knew I shouldn't have done right. it, but. You never find yourself in those situations of, but the yep. stock is, or the company is, For sure. insert GE. But it's GE, it can't go down, right? But it's, you know, fill in the name there. And that's when, you know, when you see those stocks violate trend lines, but it's Johnson & Johnson. Mm -hmm. You know, how many products, if you walk around your house, do you own that are made by Johnson & Johnson? Probably most of them you don't even realize. Right. But, you know, that's the situation of you see those stocks violate trend lines. If that is the discipline that you have in your process, I'm never going to own a stock that's in a negative trend. If it violates trend, it comes out then stick to that discipline. Right. And that's why 95%, you know, when I look at kind of just portfolios is, is using the models, yeah. right? Because you force that discipline in, into yeah. um, your practice. Um, and then maybe the other 5% can be, you know, kind of these one-off trades or trying to take advantage of mispricing based off of, you know, the implied momentum curve or, or weekly distribution or uh, whatever, what have you. But that's why you have to use the models yeah. or, you know, really um, record kind of what you're doing, why you're doing it, 
um, using the, the filter tool to set up some really systemized screens. Um, you know, using the query engine is very beneficial as well. And also save those queries, right? I mean, um, if you're not recording kind of the exact parameters that you use, when you go to the query engine, you know, save those filters so you can always make sure that you have, hey, I'm running this portfolio off of this set of rules, and you can do that using that tool. So I think it's an interesting book, um, you know, especially it just shows you why we need to have a disciplined approach. You know, no investor is perfect. I think if you look at the the book um, and some of these mistakes talked about, I mean, we're talking about, you know, Graham and Drunken Miller and um, Paulson and Munger, uh, Sequoia, Ackman. I mean, mm. you know, successful investors. And uh, the idea is that, you know, you know, they make mistakes too, right? And so if you do make a mistake, learn from it. Yeah. Um, and that's something that I think we can all, uh, you know, take from it. And again, you know, if you have made a mistake and you did go against the, the grain, against the process, evaluate why, what happened, um, and some tools that can help you kind of you know, go over that. If you go to the playbook, is something that's available in the education tab of our, our website where it can help you kind of um, you know, look at different scenarios in the marketplace based off of kind of participant participation in offense and defense. It gives you kind of a set bullet point list of some strategies to run in certain market environments, and that can help you as well. So there's plenty of resources on the website to help you streamline your process, become more disciplined, um, and become more unemotional. Um, and so please check those out if you have some time. That's right. I'll leave with this, and this was something that I remember Tommy telling me very, very early on, Tommy Dorsey telling me very, very early on when I started, he said, you know what, I'm never going to be mad for being wrong, but don't stay wrong. Right. It's okay to be wrong. It's not okay to stay wrong. And so, you know, when, when you buy a stock for all the right reasons, or you buy an ETF or whatever it is for all the right reasons, sometimes it just doesn't work out. Mm -hmm. So it's okay to be wrong on that, but but not okay to stay wrong. And so, um, you know, that's just something that, that has always stuck in my head of, uh, of, of a thought process of, you know what, not everything works out, but once once my rules for owning something, once my reasons for owning something break down, then it's time to move on. That's right. So, well, with that, happy 4th of July. We're look, looking forward to uh, a great second half of the year. I hope everybody is, is enjoying their, uh, their 4th of July, the 4th of July shortened week. This is an odd week when 4th odd. of July falls on a Wednesday. Um, I'm not sure whether we're supposed to celebrate the weekend before, the weekend after. I guess we do both. I don't know. Uh, we went and saw some fireworks this Saturday. Hopefully cool. we'll see some Wednesday. And who knows, maybe the weekend after we'll see some fireworks as well. Um, so with that, happy 4th of July, everybody. And uh, appreciate you joining us as always. Look forward to talking to you next week. Mm -hmm.